The only harvest aid you need is W-B-I-N, the bin. Frustrated with the harvest weather? We've got angst in the bin. Just want to relax? We've got easy listening in the bin. Like a jack-o'-lantern. Watching parents give candy to kids they don't even know. And hopefully there won't be snow. Here's some Motown coming at ya. E-U-M-P-K-I-N. Cut em, chuck em in a bin. E-U-M-P-K-I-N. Oh Lord, that's a big pumpkin. Yeah, you've got a big pumpkin in the back of your trunk. Your dial is pointed to WBIN, the bin. Maybe I don't like the flavor too bold. Maybe I don't like the aroma. I'm never satisfied. I'm never satisfied. Why don't we try this together? This is what it tastes like with pumpkin spice. Or are you ready for 2020 to be over? Close out with the bin, the soundtrack to your season. Pumpkin time. Every new pumpkin comes from some other pumpkins, yeah. I know that you want to take me home. May your handles be green and your fruit be orange. We're WBIN, the All right, I was really happy to hear about that new station. My wife really likes Christmas music and turns on the Christmas stations, but Fall has never had its own radio station, so I was really happy about that. Um, well, we just wanted to play that for our listeners and welcome everybody. Um, you are in the right place. This is it's September 2nd, and this is the Great Lakes Vegetable Producers Network, a live weekly roundtable discussion for commercial vegetable producers in the Midwest and Great Lakes region. We've been broadcasting every Wednesday at 1130 Central, 1230 Eastern. Um, this is actually our last episode. So... Um, it's been a very enjoyable ride. Um, credits are available for today, as well as RUP credits for Michigan Certified Pesticide Applicators. If you would, are seeking either of those credits, please enter your name and email in the chat box. Uh, my name is Ben Whirling. I work for Michigan State University. I'll be one of your hosts today. My co-host um, is also Ben, Ben Phillips, two-for-one Ben Day again. Um, our Zoom engineer is Mike Reinke, and we're all from MSU. So, Ben, what are we going to talk about today with Brad and Nathan? Right. Well, um, both Brad and Nathan are pumpkin growers in their personal lives. And Nathan is also a commercial agriculture extension educator at the University of Illinois. And Brad is an agriculture and horticulture specialist at The Ohio State University, both in the southern tier counties. Um, and we've reconvened them here today at, to bookend a discussion we had on this podcast on May 27th about planting pumpkins uh, and at-plant considerations for pumpkins for the Halloween market. So now we're going to be talking about some decisions um, that need to be made on, in the final stretch now from, from now until the end of October. So um, we'd like to ask any listeners that may have questions to put those in the Q&A box. You can upvote favorites and things as well, and we'll tackle those in the back half of the show. All right. Thanks, Ben. Um, <clears throat> and one of the things you mentioned is we're getting close to the to the finish line. Um, it's almost Halloween, um, and I think it's a natural time for growers to ask, um, should I keep on protecting the crop, or is not, are those inputs now as we get closer to harvest, um, are there going to be diminishing returns? We've, you know, that growers have gone this far. They don't want to let off the gas and have issues. Um, 
But at the same time, you know, you don't want to spend money on inputs that may not pay off. So I wanted to first talk with you, Brad and Nate, about um, the big elephant pathogen in the room, powdery mildew, since we know it can affect handle quality. Um, when, how long should growers keep protecting their pumpkins from powdery mildew? Um, I can go ahead and uh, share my experience. Uh, I started growing pumpkins uh, as a kid with my own money uh, back in 85. And if there's anybody on the line that was growing pumpkins back in the mid 80s, you know, we had Howden was the variety and uh, it was, I mean, you could just say the word powdery mildew and it was covered in powdery mildew. So compared to back in 85 and the 80s and even early 90s to today, Powdery mildew is is still a concern, but we have got such great genetics these days compared to the Howden days that uh, um, that's a little more easier to manage. But you're right, Ben, we've put in 100 days worth of effort and money and time here. And uh, since we planted these things and we really don't want to let up the uh, let up our guns uh, getting this close to getting that paycheck uh, deposited in the bank. So with this variety resistance to powdery, um, we're getting much better stem quality, much better uh, canopy um, holding up better uh, under powdery mildew conditions compared back to the, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, But we do have to stay on top of that because uh, we have seen in trials, uh, Nathan's done trials. We've done many trials here in Ohio that even with these powdery mildew tolerant varieties, we can still lose stem quality and, and canopy pretty fast. Yeah, I think my experience is is pretty similar. Uh, you know, as far as exactly when to stop, that kind of depends a little on your your exact market and when you're going to harvest them. But certainly, you know, that the stem quality is the biggest thing. I think whenever you see pumpkins in the store that have that that tiny shriveled up little stem, or if you have some of your own, you harvest them, they look good, and then all of a sudden those stems just shrivel up almost like a little string. Um, you know, generally speaking, that's powdery mildew. You had some infection on there. So that's, and that quality aspect, it's one thing if you're cutting and they were going right out the door that day, but if you want know, to hang around any time at all, at all, that, you know, that stem, which is so integral to that look of, of our pumpkins is just goes downhill really quick. So certainly keeping that up, um, you know, in mind, you know, we have powdery mildew tolerance, but we truly don't have like complete resistance. So reminder that, you know, even though you might have some of the great uh, varieties that have res- uh, that resistance, you're not going, or that tolerance, you're, you still eventually can get powdery mildew. Sometimes that's a misconception and people think they've, you know, uh, haven't, have been uh, missold on what they're planting, but that is, uh, is not complete tolerance. So for me, I usually, in my own operation, usually by probably mid-September, I think really hard about, you know, stopping a fungicide and I watch the weather and, and conditions. You know, usually powdery mildew likes that, those hot, humid, uh, really higher temperature conditions. So if, if the climate isn't as conducive and the field is pretty clean, I tend to think twice about it. Um, knowing that really I just need to get pumpkin, especially by the time you hit mid-October, um, most of what you have is probably going to be out and, you know, out of the field that you're going to have to worry about a lot of quality issues. If the field is pretty clean, even if you would get some infection, it seems like the stems of the fruit are not the first thing that you, where you see the powdery mildew. So uh, maybe to be on a little bit more of the conservative side on saving sprays, I will probably tolerate some leaf infestation of powdery mildew by late October, but, um, but not, but still have, um, you know, the stems that are in good shape. So. Gotcha. So it sounds like there's no, no easy answer. You just got to be aware of what the crop is doing and when it's going out to market and where it's going. Um, Yeah. Like this week, uh, our Southern Ohio pumpkin growers cooperative, you know, started shipping, uh, today, actually shipping to the grocery chains, the, the distribution centers, because the stores want them in the store by uh, by Labor Day. They want to have be set up for fall with the first pumpkins. So those farmers actually started shutting off their fungicide programs uh, uh, probably a week ago, ten days ago, um, just because they were they were 
they were getting this close to harvest. So, but then, you know, I've had some farmers still, you see airplanes flying, you know, the third week of October, putting down fungicide and there's a a forecast for frost coming in. And that may not be the best, wisest use of your uh, funds and your money as well. So it, yeah, it comes down to that marketing thing, what the weather's going to do. Um, at least on my farm, I do two plantings. I plant the end of May and I plant the end of June um, just to stagger pollination and fruit sets. That sort of protects me from having a high heat spell where we lose a lot of fruit set uh, due to the high heat. So if I'm going to be spraying the late patch, uh, I'll be spraying my, my early patch as well because it's all, all right there and it's part of my management program. But if I just plant that early patch for this uh, Labor Day market, and I was going to be done here. You know, there there'll be some farmers totally done, pumpkin farmers totally done here uh, in the next ten days. So, yeah, why would you want to keep that fungicide program going if they're going to be cut and binned up and out the door? Gotcha. Thanks, guys. Um, well, we talked. We talked. You guys talked about powdery mildew sun. Um, and I wanted to ask you both too. Are there? We know there are other diseases out there that can affect fruit quality. Um, are those something that growers should be thinking about as we get closer to the finish line as they think about applying? Uh, again, I can share some experiences. You probably need to be on the look. It all depends on weather. I remember back in 87 or 80, it wasn't, the 88 was the drought. So I think it was 87 or 89. We had a terrible, terrible wet harvest season. And even though I was growing on some sandy ground at that point, we had such saturated soils that Phytophthora uh, kicked in. And on our farm then, we were a traditional vegetable farm. So when you have those, uh, you know, Phytophthora organisms in the soil, it doesn't take much in terms of weather to get that kicked off. So uh, that was a terrible year. And then back 27 years ago, when my wife and I bought our farm, uh, it was an old grain farm and they had plowed all the fields out for many years. So every field was like a, like a bowl uh, holding water. And we ended up having a late fall, uh, rainy fall then as well. And so we lost a good percentage of our crop due to Phytophthora because those fields just had not been plowed right. So that'd be the biggest thing. The best thing we can have for a fall harvest, in my opinion, is a nice dry fall (laughs) just to get this crop in and keep the people coming out on the weekends and everything else. But boy, if we go through like what Nate went through back early this spring, uh, if we start getting 20, 15, 20 inches of rain here in the next eight weeks, that's that's probably the worst thing because that phytophthora can set in at those low end of the fields. And then those phytophthora organisms can just swim right on up to the, to the top part of the field. So that'd be my worst fear is we have a wet fall. The thing, especially in Southern Illinois and I know other areas too, we're having issues with bacterial spot. And so you'll get, especially if the, when the fruit are um, not even necessarily a, completely right, but you'll get one small lesion um, on the fruit. So it might be even the size of a pencil eraser or something, just kind of like a little like dead spot. And if we get continued rains, um, that usually that disease itself, oftentimes you can get lesions that will callus over. But if that stays, if the lesion gets a little larger, you get secondary infections and rot. And so what happens, you'll get the, the nicest, you know, 20 pound pumpkin, you'll pick it up but on the underside, there'll be a spot about the size of a dime or something that has a little hole. And I'll look at that and I'll just leave it out in the field because if I put in a bin, I'll have a half a bin or that one or however many will end up rotten. And so that's, to me, that has been a, a big challenge. And again, it happens on those years when it's wet. If we have a dry fall and, you know, we don't have much rain. I mean, if I had, you know, there's some years if, if I didn't have any rain between September 15th and the end of October, I probably wouldn't complain at all if we've had decent soil moisture because, like you said, the dry weather is so much easier on, on, on many aspects, but especially on fruit rots and diseases. Nothing good comes of a, of, of a season where September and October are just wet and constantly muddy. But that, that's one of our biggest things. That disease is problematic because it can be really hard to catch and, um, and your fruit quality will be okay for a while. 
And then, you know, then you get them, you know, post harvest, they'll rot and then cause issues. And so that's the biggest thing. And sometimes you'll have that lesion. I've set some out just on my own farm. You know, I'll throw them out in front of the barn and say, well, it might not make it. And they'll do just fine. But all it takes is that chance. If you got a 50-50 chance, well, if you're putting them in a bin, especially you're sending them home with your favorite customer, you don't, you don't want to take that chance too much and have them disappointed. Or certainly all it takes is one rotten pumpkin to really make a bin full, just not so pleasant. So. And then one other disease here in Southern Ohio and into Kentucky, since I'm so close to the Kentucky line that we need to keep an eye out for is a downy mildew. Um, I know it seems like in Ohio, north of 70, uh, I-70, downy mildew is not as bad on pumpkins as you get on that 70 line in south. So for our northern growers, you know, they keep an eye out for it, but it's not near as devastating of a disease on pumpkins north of 70 as we are down south. Uh, we started, uh, I think we got our first true diagnosis of downy here in southern Ohio back seven, eight years ago, maybe even nine close to it now. But anyway, it's probably our worst disease because, you know, you could not have it, not have it, not have it. And if anybody's had downy, you know, it from time of infection to total defoliation of that crop, uh, it can be days. Where powdery is a slow death disease, if you get a downy infection and you're busy picking sweet corn or, or doing other crops and you don't look at your field, that downy can come in and take that field real fast. So that probably be my, you know, powdery is definitely a concern, phytophthor if we get into a wet fall, but keeping them, that canopy nice uh, and full um, by controlling downy, which downy sides are a little different program than powdery mildew. So a lot of farmers will think, well, if I'm on a powdery mildew program, that's going to help me with my downy mildew control. And really, uh, when you look at the two programs, they're, they're two different animals. You really have to be, uh, you know, ready for a downy control program and a powdery control program. Very few overlap. So that's probably for us in Southern Ohio right now. I've been on several farms um, and I've had several call and between Downey and I don't know if they're seeing this in Illinois, but uh, they used to call what white speck Ben. So that's the plectosporidium. Um, that sh uh, doesn't show on every farm, doesn't show every year, but I've had two calls this year that that can start going through a field pretty fast. So if you get a little hot spot in the field, then you get hurricane rains or a lot of rain, that plectosporidium can go right on through. So then you got a beautiful pumpkin but the stems all uh, dotted up and the stem starts to collapse because of the white speck. And then you get the white speck on the uh, pumpkin itself. And if you pull into Walmart with a semi load of, uh, of pumpkins and they pull a couple that have white speck, the whole load will be rejected. So probably getting here late in the season, we got to stay on the powdery, but I'm looking out for downy and then looking out for those hot spots of plectosporidium. Uh, Okay, thanks, guys. As, as you're talking, you, you start thinking about there's a certain point when nothing good comes from leaving fruit in the field. Um, and I think that's a nice segue, Ben, to talking about harvest timing, which is, I know, something that you guys have thought a lot about. So, Ben, I'm going to hand it off to you. Okay, great. Um, so uh, there are other, yeah, quality issues and, and timing issues with, with harvest that are sometimes directly related to diseases, um, defoliation in particular, um, because then you have exposed fruit to the bright, to bright shining sun. So, um, is that, is, is that, when is a good, uh, what is a good way to manage uh, harvest when you've got fields that are defoliating at different rates and, you know, when, when is your target market coming? How do you, how do you time your harvests um, and if you have to harvest prematurely, what sort of uh, actions can you take to keep the fruit at top quality? So I would say for for my situation, you know, um, we're uh, I'm a smaller operation, so we'll go through and do sometimes multiple harvests. Harvest probably probably two or three across an area. Um, you know, we target a lot of uh, a lot of our harvests and trying to get um, you know basically harvest when we need it. Uh, to an extent, although you do need to stock up and certainly uh, that would go the same for a commercial, you know, when you have orders coming in, you know, I, I 
you have to work with the weather and, and of course labor and things, but uh, you know, trying to, uh, I try to keep them as, as fresh as possible. I, I generally, if, if everything is healthy, I think they do keep better on the vine. I like them to stay fresh. Now, if you're concerned about some of the diseases we mentioned or, you know, other issues, um, you know, defoliation and you have a lot of heat and you're worried about like sunburn or something like that, then that's, then there's reasons to, you know, this, or certainly frost if that's coming to, to harvest out. But if it's early in the season, you know, all things are considered, um, I, you know, I do, I tend to err on, you know, you know, leaving them out there if you don't need them right at that moment. Um, but yeah, Brad, what do you, what are your thoughts on some of that? Well, I think if you look at some of the university fact sheets on post-harvest handling, um, they do, you know, they do say to uh, get them out of the field, get them into a barn or storage conditions that we should, and they do, they do store longer on a, on a, uh, you know, in a dry, dry barn. But, uh, I, I agree with you, Nate. If we keep that canopy up and we got a good canopy and that plant's still photosynthesizing and it's still, uh, you know, pumping the nutrients out, then uh, I, I would love to storm on the on the vine. But uh, back in the old days, I don't know, again, if it's, if it's the environment or the weather, but back in the 80s when I was growing pumpkins, it was a standard practice that you would cut in windrow. And you'd put them in windrows, they'd be out of the canopy along the harvest lanes, and we'd let them cure for a week, let them stems cure for they hardened up a little bit. I, I grew pumpkins for, for 20 years up in northern Ohio at my dad's, and we never had an issue with sun, sun scald or sunburn. And it just seems like here in the last five or 10 years, we really can't do the cutting, windrowing, and curing in the field anymore. Uh, last year is a perfect example. You know, we're a small operation as well. I get my kids all home from college. I get my grandkids, and we we got to cut when we got the hands there to cut. And so we cut, we windrowed, and then in uh, about next week, a year ago, we got hot. It was in the 90s, intense sunshine, and we lost, uh, I'm guessing, at least a ton, if not more, due to sun scald where we had those pumpkins in those windrows gonna take them out the next weekend when we got the family in to bin them up and get them into the barn but we lost a, a good percentage of those pumpkins just uh because it got very hot and and burnt those you, you take an orange pumpkin and you get sun that dark color of that orange pumpkin just absorbs that heat a little bit more and you throw in another you know two three degrees on top of a 90 some degree temperature and an intense sun and that I'll never do that again. When we cut pumpkins, they're going in bins or going in the barn. Um, I lost way too many last year due to that sunburn. Yeah, um, covered space is kind of a rare commodity um, on a lot of farms, especially for um, for like one time of the year. It's hard to move out a bunch of stuff just so that you can keep pumpkins. Uh, maybe keep pumpkins if there's an emergency where you need to put them inside. But uh, some growers do have the opportunity to put pumpkins under cover, and, and if uh, the vines are down, I would I would say it's probably a, a good idea. Um, One thing on that note, Ben, uh, if anybody out there is looking for dedicated pumpkin storage space. Uh, I've talked to our farm service agency directors here in Ohio, and they've, for many, many years, they had cost sharing just on grain bins. Well, now they've opened up that cost share with very low interest loans and cost share on produce storage. And huh. when I pitched them the idea of building a barn with some ventilation fans to keep the humidity just right, uh, they said that was eligible. So that may be something that growers would want to look at is that farm service agency program for produce storage, because you could build yourself a nice concreted floor. Uh, it's going to be some investment, yes, but you might be eligible to participate in that uh, farm storage loan program um, by building yourself a dedicated pumpkin storage barn. So at least I, I don't know anybody that's done that, but talking to our FSA directors here in Ohio, they, they say that is a, a possibility that that could be done. So keep that in mind. Hmm. Um, so I, I guess I'm curious why you, why you feel that um, sunscald seems to be worse the last few years. Um, do you feel like that's timing real, the fruit maturity or um, just the intensity of the sun just happened to be uh, work out so that, you know, 
in September you had a couple of those freak days that just kind of toasted them or? I'm or, saying all the above. Back in the 80s, the stores didn't want pumpkins in there till the first week of October. Oh, so, that component too. Yeah, yeah the earliness we, we part. Weren't, we weren't cutting and shipping until, but you know, this Halloween thing, you know, our produce auctions here in Ohio had pumpkins in the auctions two weeks ago already. And the demand was great. Prices were high. Uh, it was, you know, we've seen these pumpkins coming, but it's mid-August, but there were folks already starting to make uh, make their fall displays in their farm markets, uh, not large volumes, so that could be it, but maybe it's this whole weather-changing thing that they talk about. Maybe it's uh, we're getting warmer temperatures into the fall. You know, very rarely did I remember September's and early October's in the 90s, but it seems like we're getting that more and more frequently here. Yeah, I would say for us, last fall, we were probably like you, Brad, we were, uh, we were hot. I mean, it was about the, maybe about 10 days into October, and then, then things cooled off drastically, but we stayed up, you know, well in the upper 80s or 90s that whole time, and it was, you know, we had a lot of different things that struggled with some of that heat. Um, it was good for pushing late set uh, pumpkins, but as far as trying to store stuff and uh, yeah, certainly intense, I mean, you know, summertime kind of true conditions and yeah, that's hard on pumpkin fruit. I've never actually ground tooth this, but I, I feel like there are some varieties, especially of jack-o'-lanterns that will, that will sunburn a lot worse than others. I, I've seen some, I've never been able to put them all say side by side to really, you know, put my finger on one, but I, I've noticed some that I've, that seem to kind of be outliers whenever they've been set out and just like, boy, those really just seem to just, just to toast almost, you know, really quickly. So I think, and that goes into a greater question is, is there some aspect of the skin qualities or other fruit qualities that make that would make some varieties maybe more susceptible or not to sunburn after harvest. So, but I, I think the weather you know, some of the weather conditions, I think, have certainly alluded to that. And, yeah, the marketing, the earlier markets, you know, before we weren't worried about pumpkins on Labor Day. So that's, we've kind of skewed ourselves towards harvesting under the warmer parts of the the early fall season. So, Well, I think people are, are ready for 2020 to be over and are going to look for every excuse possible to to uh, to shorten the time frame from now till 2021, and that may be earlier holidays <laughs> for all the way through. <laughs> um, you know, even so, if you even if we don't get sunburn, you know, we harvested some just just to have out for our little market uh, here a week ago, and they were beautiful, nice orange pumpkins, and they've been sitting out in the sun. Um, Nate told me I probably need to have covering or, or or some type of shade cloth, which is a good idea, but we don't get it done. Um, but I've seen just me visually knowing when I harvested those, how dark orange they were. And now they don't have that color uh, just being in that sun for a week. So you are going to start losing some of that color, I think, too. Have you seen that, Nate? Yeah. I mean, I've seen the same thing where you, you know, I've worked with retail stores and um, you know, I always try to subtly encourage if if they can can have a way to store them with some at least some indir- indirect cover to the sun, so you're not just right out in the beating sun. You know, the the places that have their front porches on the south side of their their market, and they just lay them out in the sun with no cover, and and, and it's hard. I mean, I, I mean, it makes for an awesome display, but yeah, that that deep orange color that we love will fade. It'll get a little more yellowy. That nice dark green stem often will turn a little more brown and won't be as, you know, as bright and fresh looking. So that's kind of a, just a compromise. I think you have to, if, if that's how your farm is set up, you know, maybe, you know, trying to kind of maybe subtly limit your display and try to keep fresh stuff out and, mm-hmm. and not, you know, maybe keeping some stuff back. The markets I've worked with, I've kind of encouraged to, hey, you know, maybe, you know, throw those bins back over in the shade or even if it's just on the north side of a building so they're not getting a beating sun on them. Mm-hmm. Um, um, things like that to just to minimize the length of time that they're just sitting out in that, you know, especially when they're in really direct sunlight contact. But uh, a lot of times, you know, beyond sunburn, uh, it doesn't influence the quality or, or or storage of them or their shelf life a, a ton for a good healthy pumpkin. 
Um, but it does, you know, whenever you remember we're selling for the, basically the aesthetics. So you, at least until they leave your farm, you know, you want them to look as nice as possible to lure that person into to grabbing them. So um, just, I think it's things just to keep in, for people to keep in mind and consider. It's not like, you know, you cannot put them in the sun because I know it's just logically, it just doesn't work, but it's, mm-hmm. it's something to just to note. Okay. Um, let's transition to a totally different phenomenon that also happens in the fall, freezing and frosts. Um, it's, it's a weird thing. We can go from sun and heat damage on pumpkins into frost and freezing te- uh, damage in pumpkins uh, within a relatively short period of time. Um, what what should folks know about that? Um, how does how does vine and foliage health uh, affect uh, the uh, fruit damage, if any? Uh, does having a nice healthy top and 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 leaves protect fruit from from frosts and if they don't have a good foliage should should they be picking those pumpkins uh seeing the forecast ahead of time and, and rushing to get them under cover so well in in my experience ben i've um you know anytime we see especially a frost of really any frost uh we talked earlier the the anything that's white um, you know, any of your white varieties, large or small, or even some of the specialties that have a, have a little bit lighter skin and not quite as tough as skin seem to be really, really susceptible to getting like a small water soaked spot wherever that frost lands. So if that pumpkin is sitting, you know, right that top side of it, uh, that get that, that little bit of frost lands, you'll get that spot. It doesn't cause any rot or long time, long-term damage. It's just an aesthetic change. Uh, and that fruit, I tried, I avoid trying to, to market pumpkins like that, especially the, the, the whites that have that. I, I try to avoid it. I have noticed that if you have really good foliage cover, at least the first night at frost, you can get away with a little bit because that frost will land on your pumpkin leaves and not so much the fruit in the understory um, of that canopy. Um, but you, you only usually get one shot at that because after mm-hmm. usually if you get very much, if the frost is very extensive, then that, that takes the leaves off, um, makes harvesting really easy. You can see a pumpkin field from about a mile away whenever, uh, after that frost comes, but to jack-o'-lanterns, it will also influence. I feel like for the most part, jack-o'-lanterns, you can see it. it I do notice some kind of subtle varietal differences, but I don't think it's as, um, I don't think it's as, as bad and they tend to have a little tougher skin that it certainly isn't as noticeable. The look isn't as noticeable. I can see it sometimes on the orange ones, but the white just contrasts that color really bad because it gets a, a very kind of like a water soap kind of creamy look right where that frost lands. So, uh, you know, I do try if there's a frost coming out, especially whites and stuff, I will, I will go out and do my best to try to pull out at least what I need for a while. For us, we're fortunate that hopefully that doesn't come to the middle of October, but I still may need stuff for, you know, the final weeks leading up to, to Halloween. So uh, I know you guys aren't maybe quite as fortunate. Um, when it comes to that timing, but, uh, but I do try to get some, uh, I try to get some out, um, but it's not the com- complete end all as long as it's a frost and not a hard freeze. Brad, what are, what has your been your experience? Yeah, the same thing. We, uh, being down south here, we don't uh, have to worry about that till at least the 15th or later, um, but I do want to have my specialties out, my pink dolls, my blue dolls, my Jaredales, my Cinderella's, my fairy tales, anything with that lighter skin color on them. I want to get them out of the field because, yeah, you're right, Nate. Once they get frosted right on that shoulder where that frost was laying, uh, there'll be a water-soaked uh, coloration there in a lesion. And it's just – and I, I've never done a storage study, but I would assume if you were to put those into storage after getting some frost or freeze damage on those shoulders that you're going to have some premature breakdown uh, where that frost was on there. So – um, yeah, definitely, definitely specialties out of the field early, um, even thinking about after they're out of the field. Uh, you know, at our home place, we got a, you know, a half acre yard that's just full of pumpkins here, uh, get to be mid-October and um, never do it, <laughs> probably always should, but I'd say if you were to get a hard frost or a freeze forecasted, maybe using, uh, like we use on strawberries, some floating rope covers, 
uh, least pollinata. If you're a strawberry grower and you got floating row covers in the barn anyway, just pulling those row covers out and throwing them over the patch, uh, the display patch for the evening. Um, at least on strawberries, and again, it'd be a cool study to do. What will that influence? Uh, can we, will we still got that water spotting, even if we got row cover on there. My guess, it's probably going to help uh, prevent that uh, for our pumpkins that are on display. So that might be something to think about if we you know, this wacky year so far, we could end up having a freeze or a frost event. Heck, I've even picked pumpkins in the snow before. It was, <laughs> it was the late eighties and we had to take the, we had to take the snow and brush it off the pumpkin to harvest the pumpkin back in the, back in the late eighties. So uh, um, who knows what this is going to happen, but that might be something to think about some floating road cover like we use on uh, for frost protection on our other produce crops that could help. Uh, protect crops through a freeze or frost event. Yeah, that's a great point. It's not just the ones out in the field. I mean, if you're storing them even in bins outside, I mean, it'll now it won't hit the, the lower ones. So, I mean, I've already um, I've used tarps and even just ducked them into lean-tos anywhere. Um, sometimes if I, on a, on a light frost night, I've even gotten away with just having bins stacked up under like a big shade tree where, you know, a lot of times the frost doesn't settle, you know, under those trees like it does in the open. Um, you know, cause I'm, I'm like any other grower, there's times I've been desperate and I don't have a pumpkin storage shed. I may need to take FSA up on that. Cause I don't, I mean, I, they're, they're squirreled away everywhere on those nights <laughs> where you need to get them in. But, um, but yeah, this, yeah, keep in mind that even if they're in a bin, uh, and they're sitting out in the open, they could, you know, those top ones could still get a little, little frost damage on them. So. All right. Thanks guys. Um, I'd like to go to a question we have in the Q and a, and then maybe come back to a couple other questions, but, uh, this question is coming from Natalie. Do you ever use a dump tank with chlorine, um, or something for treatment of spots on pumpkins, uh, with tsunami, uh, which I believe is, uh, um, I thought that may, no, that, I'm thinking of sanitate. I don't remember what tsunami is, but it's like a post harvest thing. Uh, or something like bleach to prevent pathogen spread on those pumpkins after harvest. And she's got a second part of that question. Are there some pathogens that might be more worth treating than others to prevent post-harvest disease spread? I, I can talk on behalf because I'm not a no-till guy. Our soil types here at our farm do not are not conducive to a growing on no-till. So we try to just dry clean our pumpkins. So when we're on the field, we're bending up. Uh, we're just, uh, we're hopefully harvesting on a dry day and we can uh, wipe a lot of that off with just with a gloved hand and have pretty clean pumpkins. But I do have several growers that are in the same boat. They don't, they can't, no-till doesn't work on their farm and they've got a nice lineup, a series of where the pumpkins are put in a dump tank and they're floating down the line and through a, br a series of brushers, these are all <laughs> farmer engineered systems, but they work. And then they come out the end. I haven't had one grower up in northern Ohio. They even have a dryer. Uh, the pumpkins are taken through a, uh, a chamber that's blowing air, and it dries them hmm. before they bend them up. So there's lots of different ways to do that. But um, for our small operation, we just hope it stays dry, and we, we clean them. Now, Nate does a no-till production, so I think uh, that, that's probably the way to go, huh, Nate? Yeah, so for as far as the the fall harvest, yeah, you know, we've been doing no-till. We're lucky that uh, we actually are able to double crop after wheat. We go right in after our wheat harvest and can go in. Otherwise, I have already done cereal rye, which would give the same uh, the same effect. But uh, but no, I I love that system. Being the ground hasn't been tilled. Um, the ground is just a lot more solid. So even just getting out in the field, I um, mean, some days I wear boots more just for all the water on the canopy so my boots don't get soaked. But rarely, even on some of the wettest years, do I get, you know, sink down to my ankles in mud. I mean, I'd, I'd have to hit a really bad spot. I'm almost always just basically just, you know, walking on uh, basically like straw ground uh, to, uh, to harvest. And yeah, the for the most part, you know, then the pumpkins come off pretty clean. I mean, the really wet years between getting some on your gloves, I mean, you still get some dirt on them, but compared with some of the times we've done some trials and things with tillage and stuff, the, the pumpkins that come out of there, especially on a wet year, dry years, it's, it really, you know, it's, it can be a toss up, but 
the you know we don't really do any post-harvest washing on the larger pumpkins now we do for our gourds and many pumpkins and stuff we do a, a light wash and we do use a little bit of a um, you know bleach solution i don't know mainly just to prevent any you know random stray spreads especially if there be any open pores or anything i don't know that you know one comment we talked about powdery mildew uh, i from time to time, I've even taken, when I had some mildew on some stems, I think one year I even took a squirt bottle with some trying to think, you know, if I hit the stem, would that do anything to powdery mildew? And the answer is, I don't really think it, if you could see the mil the actual powdery mildew on there, I think you're just, you're, the ship has sailed. It's a little too late for that. That's been, been my experience, although I've never had a chance to test it. It'd be interesting if any, um, any pathologist had any other, uh, more formal ideas of, of any sanitizing steps that would uh, help out on disease. Certainly getting any soil off of the pumpkins, you know, if or would help, uh, you know, it's helpful if, you know, the soil could have disease, especially if, you know, if they're stored in, in a way that they still get wet or you say if they're out on a barnyard or something where they're still getting rained on and stuff, you know, trying to have them keep them fairly clean or, you know, at least out of the, out of the dirt or mud somewhere is, is going to be, be helpful but yeah the, the washing is um for, for our farm and and if you have a wash line that's one thing i've just really tried to avoid it because there's just you know there's nothing fun about washing pumpkins um, you know especially when you look at all the work of harvesting them to start with the mm -hmm. thought of trying to do that is um i can uh, the no-till works well and i can more than more than justify any you know even if there would be any any issues or losses to that um i could justify that with the efficiency side of it at least for being a small operation where i don't have in you know re a lot of labor at hand and uh nor do i have a wash line that just laying around to use so yeah even if you had a wash line some of the specialty pumpkins that are warty or lopsided or have huge uh handles wouldn't it wouldn't go through those systems well. Yeah, uh, handle quality, I think, could be something for some could be could be a big issue. Um, and actually, it always brings up the point. Most varieties that you have to watch when you're binning them. I try to cut handles as long as I can. However, the caveat to that is for some varieties, if you are stacking them in a bin and they have long handles, really long handles, um, that can be problematic because they want to break more easily. So there's some varieties are different on that handle length, but as far as marketability, certainly the longer handle, the better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes no, handle length can affect uh, the fruit you're stacking on top too. It can puncture and scrape and things like that. Yeah, yeah, Brad. The, the growers that are growing for the chains, you know, like the Kroger's and the, the Walmart's, uh, there is, most of those have a two inch diameter so you know you may have this big beautiful stem but not diameter length but you got to cut that for there's only two inches sticking above because they don't want people hurting themselves in the store they don't want to mm. function each other and then at least here in ohio if you are a pumpkin vendor for the walmarts and the krogers it's mandatory that you grow them in a no-till situation they they don't oh. want any mud or dirt coming into the stores now that's not the same for like rural kings and some of these other uh, department department stores and so forth, but I do know in Ohio to grow pumpkins for uh, Kroger or Walmart or Meyer, you have to at least here Meyer in Ohio at the distribution center here you have to be on no till. That is interesting. Wow, huh? Um, so uh, I had a I uh, I think that answered that question. I'll just add one bit to that question. Last week we had a guest, Chris Smart from Cornell. We were talking about Phytophthora and um, she had mentioned protecting fruit against rots. Some of the smaller fruit, a little bit easier to treat after harvest, like tomatoes and peppers. And um, she had some um, anecdotal experience with growers using Oxidate, which is similar to Sanidate, similar to Tsunami, as a post-harvest dip for those to protect um, against cross-contamination of that with that pathogen from an infected fruit to an uninfected fruit. And um, uh, she seemed to think positively of that. So it's something to consider, but as Nate mentioned, the, the size of pumpkins makes that a little bit more cumbersome um, to, to do efficiently. Um, I wanted to go back to a question uh, we, we had uh, kind of prepared, but didn't, but didn't ask uh, on our first uh, run around here, but that is related to insects. Uh, between now 
and harvest, uh, which insects do you think are worth um, managing, actively managing, if you're starting to see them uh, blow up? We got a couple to choose from, right? We got squash bugs, we got cucumber beetles, aphids. Um, those are probably the big three. Maybe some, maybe a couple other things. Do any of those strike you as something you should really be proactive with an insecticide program with from between now and harvest? Well, I would say, uh, in terms of animal species, deer. Oh yeah, yeah. Problem. How did I miss it? Yeah, that's <laughs> so the you worst. You can have some beautiful pumpkins out there, and then all of a sudden get a herd of deer coming in. And they could just take a bite out of each one. So at least down south here, we have a lot of woods. We're in the country. Uh, we have deer problems. But on the insect question, yeah, you could have these pumpkins cut and windrowed. I remember in some years, have, back in the 80s, when we were cutting and windrowing, the cucumber beetles, you'd, you'd have them under control. And then you'd quit your spray program. And then the cute beetles came in, especially after corn harvest. Uh, it, whether it's corn rootworm or, or cute beetles or whatever, yellow striped and spotted beetles came in and started feeding on the fruit and feeding on the stems. Um, that's all the more reason to get them out of the field. Uh, but if you are having some late season pest problems would be after you start seeing these vines go down and the cu cucumber beetles are just looking for something to munch on and they could do a number on a, on a, on the skin of a pumpkin and on the, uh, on the stem if uh, you don't keep them under control. And I don't know, I've never really looked close enough. Maybe Nate knows whether the corn rootworm beetles, when they come in from the corn fields and the corn starts drying down, whether they get a hankering for pumpkins. But my observation has been it's mainly striped and spotted cucumber beetles uh, start feeding on that fruit. Yeah, I think mainly cucumber beetles. Um, and I, I, I have a, at least a, a fair tolerance for them. They can do some damage, but you can, I find you can see quite a few of them and, and not see a lot of damage on the fruit. They might feed some on the vines, especially if I can maintain pretty good control through about mid-September. Uh, for me, squash bugs is always the one that I, I really try to avoid. They're also, in my experience, they're a little tougher to control than what the cucumber beetles are. Um, so that's where I'm, I try to stay pretty proactive. Again, usually by October 1st, um, unless that I just have, usually by then I'm pretty well figure that most of, uh, most everything is kind of starting to wind down as far as the growth for the season. And if I get, and if by the 20th or 25th of October, I see, you know, squash bugs and stuff running around, I'm, I'm not super worried about it. I not, like to not see them just by the hundreds crawling all over pumpkins, but, um, but yeah, squash bugs are always one that I try to keep an eye on even now because they're, you know, they can uh, can really get in and, and really defoliate those and, and kind of take down those plants, take the life out of some of those plants. So that's that's certainly where um, uh, where I like to, to try to keep them under control um, just in general. But yeah, certainly if, aphids are another thing. If you if you have them and hopefully if you've been scouting and 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 managing your uh, insecticide sprays wisely and haven't removed all of your beneficials. And you, you can use the aphids are pretty well at bay, but they can cause problems. You'll see that honeydew that, and that kind of the, um, that the black kind of mold then that, that associates on those pumpkin fruit. And that is just a pain to wash off worse than mud, I think. Um, and certainly very kind of disfiguring to the appearance of those fruits. So certainly, um, you know, to, in my experience, I haven't had a lot of issues with them, but I try to, I don't just include that insecticide every time I spray a fungicide. I really do try to scout. And if I don't feel like I see many insects out there, I'll leave it out that spray and, uh, and then hold it for a little later just to make sure to let the beneficials do their work. And that's from the other entomologists I've had a chance to work with. That's always been their recommendation. I think makes sense. Um, and, and of course, don't want to spray any more than we have to anyhow, so. Great. Um, ben, did you have a question you wanted to ask, a follow-up on the aphids? Sure, I was just going to ask um, if you guys have experienced this. I've heard multiple growers say once, once soybeans start to yellow and go down, they get influxes of what I guess it, we're assuming is soybean aphid. I just wondered if you'd experienced that or... You know, sometimes you, you also just get aphids late in the season. Could just be the time. 
I haven't experienced that specifically, but you know that that kind of phenomenon would I mean that would make sense, especially as those plants defoliate. You know, um, those if there's a heavy aphid infestation, the thought that they could you know migrate over to something else wouldn't be out of line. I haven't seen that specifically. Um, you, of course, dry years is is more problematic for aphids than than wet years, but. I haven't observed that, but I wouldn't rule it out. Um, occasionally, I have also seen some what I think are like a like a small green worm or like a melon worm or other things get in around the stem, and that's been it's not a, a widely documented um, issue, but I've had it enough at least on some sometimes that they'll they'll chew around the where the the stem meets the fruit and, and kind of disfigured a little bit. And I've, I've occasionally had, you know, included insecticide to help manage them, but that's a little more sporadic, but does, does happen from time to time. Yeah. I've had the same experiences, but it just seems like once the green grain crops start drying down, every insect that was in there wants to go to a green pumpkin patch and start mm. causing us problems. So stink bugs and everything. So it's just the time of year, maybe looking for food. That's what my guess would be. Yep. Good. Okay. Well, um, that uh, that wraps up our questions in the Q and A as well. So um, I wanted to thank you very much for joining us today, Nate and Brad. We appreciate that uh, you took the time out this week and for the second go around on on the show. Um, so Ben, what's what's next? Do you want to close this out? Sure. Thanks, Ben. <clears throat> I just wanted to thank all our listeners and our hosts and our guests like like Nathan and Brad for um, making this show happen. It's definitely been enjoyable for me, and um, I know you as, as well, Ben, and hopefully for it's been informative for our listeners. Um, one thing I wanted to mention is, please, if you got suggestions for how to improve the show, I think we'd like to do this again next year. Um, email them to greatlakesvegwg at gmail.com. Um, and I think that's about it. We wanted to thank our sponsor, WBIN The Bin, for the spot today. Um, and then we just, oh, and one last thing I wanted to mention, um, if you take a peek in the chat box, um, Nathan just shared a link for the University of Illinois um, Pumpkin Field Day. And I know, Ben, that you're going to post um, information on that field day and a recent Ohio one, um, along with the podcast when it gets up and running. I also put the Ohio one in the chat too. Got it. Is there anything else, Ben, that you wanted to say? Uh, no, no. Thanks everybody. Thanks to you guys for putting this on all season. This has been great. And I've had a lot of good feedback from my growers and, uh, glad I could help out. Happy harvest, everybody. Yeah. Happy harvest, everybody. Yep, hope we have a good fall. Thank you guys again, too, for all, all the work. It's been a great series and happy to participate in it. So, Thank you, Nathan. Take care, guys. And um, yeah, like, like Brad, Nathan said, hope harvest season goes well for everybody. And, and we roll into Christmas feeling, maybe feeling a little positive about 2020. But thank you, everybody. Thank okay, you. have a good one. See ya. Thanks.